0: Thankful you're here. Let me begin this morning by just mentioning what's going to be happening beginning on Thursday. Our family retreat will begin on Thursday afternoon, Thursday night. We want to invite everyone who can to be there with us. We always have a great time. But there are a couple of sheets out on the table in the corner in the foyer uh, that you'll need to fill out. We'll have a meeting tonight. One of those sheets is a waiver that we have to use for the church at Childersburg and give that to them, and so they will need to be individually uh, filled out for each of your family members that will be going, and then there's an additional sheet that we keep for our records, and you can put all of your family members on that particular one, but we'll meet tonight following the service down in the classroom where I normally teach on Sunday morning, and so we'd love to have you to come. We have a special discount for first-timers this year. And so if you haven't seen that in the bulletin, or if you haven't uh, heard about that, then you can see me after the service this morning, and I'll be glad to fill you in on that particular thing. Now, I put this picture up on the screen so many of you would get hungry, I guess. I'm sure there are several who are here who, at one time or another, have probably had some Taco Bell, and some, you know, like it, some love it. You know, I've been known to have a taco or two, a chalupa or two along the way. And and so, you know, uh, your stomach can growl for the rest of the service, and we'll try not to make that too long today. But how many of you are old enough to remember the old tagline for Taco Bell, uh, make a run for the border? Now, that ran, I was surprised, but that ran in the late 1980s until the mid-1990s. I thought it was still more recent than that. But it ran from the late 80s to the, to the mid-1990s. Now, Taco Bell itself made a run for the border, went south of the border back in 1992. They had a lot of publicity because they opened up some restaurants in Mexico City, Mexico. And they had a lot to do, you know, on the news about the fact that Taco Bell had now gone to Mexico. Well... That lasted about two years because the folks in Mexico felt insulted by the food that Taco Bell serves, and so nobody was buying the Taco Bell food. Well, they moved out, and then again, they decided a little bit later on they would try, but they would try in a different city, this time in 2007, and so they opened up some restaurants in Monterey, Mexico, and they changed the, the way that they marketed it down there, that Taco Bell was, had an Americanized version of Mexican food. Now, that didn't work either because in 2010 they closed up all their stores again. And so, you know, they've made a run for the border and, and they're trying to get us, or at least back then, trying to get us to run for the border so that we would get some Mexican food when we went to Taco Bell. Now, you know this morning as well as I do that our lesson today is not about Taco Bell. What we want to talk about for the few minutes that we have together this morning, and I will go ahead and tell you right now for the time that we have together tonight, is what the Bible has to say about illegal immigration. Make a run for the border is the title that we've given our lesson, but what If anything does the Bible have to say, now you know because I've already mentioned that we'll not only talk about it this morning, but we'll talk about it tonight as well, that evidently the Bible has quite a bit to say in regard to this topic. And so we want to spend some time dealing with that, we want to spend some time talking about what the Bible has to say in regard to illegal immigration. Now let's define some things this morning as we begin. When we're talking about immigration in general, the dictionary defines immigration as the act of going or removing into a new country, region, or environment, especially in order to settle there. In other words, you go from one place to another, you move from one place to another in order to, uh, to make a change and, and to live in a particular place. When we're talking about an immigrant, we're talking about one who completes the act of immigration moving from one place to another, settling there, living there. But when we're talking about illegal immigrants, trying to put those two together, illegal immigrants, we're talking about one who completes the act of entering a country without having the necessary authorization or uh, to reside either temporarily or permanently within the borders of a new country. Now, I'm sure that every one of us are aware Uh, Of the definitions that we're talking about, but we just wanted to make it clear as we begin our lesson today. But you know, my question this morning is how does one become an illegal immigrant? Well, a person becomes an illegal immigrant when they enter a country without the required valid documentation. If you don't have the right paperwork, you don't have a right to be in a place. If you are not authorized and have the things that are necessary showing that authorization, then you have become an illegal immigrant if you have moved from one place to another, from one country to another. You have become an illegal immigrant from that standpoint. But that's not the only way that you can become an illegal immigrant. A second way is this. One becomes an illegal immigrant when that person overstays the authorized limit of the stay. In other words, you're sometimes given a, a, a set number of months or years or even weeks, you know, you go back that low, that you can reside, you can be in a place, and if you stay after that, you have now become illegal because you're no longer authorized to be there. According to the Pew Research Center, which does quite a bit of polling and, and studies of that nature, and if you follow uh, uh, things that that are of the pole nature, you'll hear the Pew name mentioned quite a bit. But according to the Pew Research Center, there were an estimated 11.3 million illegal immigrants in the United States in 2016. Now, there are estimates that you'll see on the news from time to time, anywhere from 8 million up to 20 million, and depending on who's talking about it, but the Pew Research Center says in their research they could identify some 11.3 million illegal immigrants in the United States. Six states in the United States of America have 59% of those living within their borders. Those six states are California, Texas, Florida, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois, Not only that, but about 66% of illegal immigrants have lived in the United States for more than a decade. The average is 13.6 years. Now, did you hear what I just said? The average illegal immigrant, one who has been here illegally, has been here over a decade. An average of 13.6 years. And so that's a, that's a long time to reside. It's enough time to set up your, 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 your household and to get things established. And so you can begin to see when you're talking about illegal immigration in the United States of America, you can begin to see that because people have been here that long, uh, there's going to be a problem in, in implementing any change in that. But not only that, when we're thinking about illegal immigrants and so forth, there's one thing that stands out, and one thing that our current president mentioned as he began his campaign for president, and many people did not uh, see a lot of of, uh, uh, merit to what he had to say, many of those who come to the United States of America, in addition to being illegal just to be here, have become criminals after they got here. Criminals in a more uh, criminal sense that sometimes we think of. The United States Department of Justice and the U.S. Sentencing Commission reported that as of 2014, and that's the latest statistics that I could find exact numbers for, illegal immigrants were convicted and sentenced in over 13% of all the crimes that are committed in the United States of America. 13%. According to the FBI, there were 115,717 murders in the U.S. from 2003 through 2009. And the General Accounting Office documents, documents that illegal immigrants committed 25,064 of those. And so a little less than a quarter of the murders that take place in the United States of America were committed by illegal immigrants. Again, according to the research uh, and statistics by the U.S. Department of Justice and Homeland Security, United States taxpayers are footing an annual bill to house illegal immigrants in prisons of nearly $19 million a day. $19 million a day to house and care for the estimated three hundred to 450,000 convicted criminal illegal immigrants who are eligible for deportation. And yet they're having to serve time in our prison. I don't know if you counted that up in your head or not, but that's about $7 billion a year to house convicted criminals who are illegal immigrants. And so... As we think about it, you know, there are problems that are associated with it. But there are also, it's also a fact that illegal immigration is a quite emotional topic. A quite emotional topic. You know, from the crime statistics and national security concerns, a compelling argument can be made in favor of the victims and the potential victims of crime. Even just this past week and the prior week before that, our Congress was working on a a law, I think it's called Kate's Law. Uh, Kate Steinle, I believe was her name, who was killed in San Francisco by an illegal immigrant that had been deported and kept coming back. And so, you know, that becomes an emotional topic from that standpoint. But it's also an emotional topic from another standpoint, When you think about the economic opportunities or the lack of economic opportunities in in foreign countries, in the native countries from which many of our illegal immigrants in the United States come from, there's a compelling argument that can be made in favor of the immigrants because they're coming here because of a lack sometimes of even food in the places where they live. And again, from the standpoint this morning of the fact that so many have been here so long, they've established family ties and things that are here in the United States, you add that and you continue to have an emotional topic that is discussed when it comes to the idea of illegal immigration and illegal immigrants. But we could continue on with the, with the topics of statistics and all of those things, but Let's get to the heart of the matter this morning. What does the Bible have to say in regard to this matter? Let me just say this morning as we begin a study of what the Bible has to say, anytime the Bible addresses any topic, then we as God's people are to abide by it, right? Whether we agree with it or we disagree, whether we like it or we don't like it, what God says is true. And whatever he says is the way that we, his people, are to abide, are to live here in this life. And so, we need to keep that in mind as we study what the Bible has to say. Number one, as we think about it this morning, I want us to understand that the Bible makes it clear that there are many ethnic groups. Now, you would think that would go without saying, but let me call your attention to a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, chapter 17, in Acts 17, verse 26, the Bible says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined and allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Two things out of that passage that I want to address this morning, and I want us to notice and understand, and I think we already do, that the Bible says that everyone was made from one man, everyone came from one man. If you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3 at verse 20, we know that God created the man, then he created the woman and and they began to have children that, that we read about a little bit later on, but there's something that said in Genesis chapter 3 at verse 20 about the man and the woman. The Bible says that after God took the rib from the man's side that he had given her to him. He said the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. In other words, every living human being that is on the face of the earth today has a grandmother by the name of Eve. We trace it all the way back. You said, well, well, preacher, the earth was destroyed except for for Noah and his family. Sure, where would they come from? Adam and Eve. And so we have, you know, the fact that that through this one man whose side, whose rib was taken and created the woman, there was the woman who's the mother of all living. But in addition to that, when you turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Indeed, we trace ourselves as human beings, not just to Adam, but to the one who created Adam, to God. And so in a very real sense, there's only one race. You know, a lot of times we we have uh, uh, Caucasian or African-American or some of these things that are placed on forms that we fill out. But in reality, even though we may have a different skin color, we all have the same blood. We all have the same creator. We've all been created by God. We all have a living soul that will one day return back to God. And so no matter what our skin may look like on the outside, no matter how our eyes may be shaped, no matter what our hair may look like, we all have one God. But not only does the Bible speak about the one man, here in Acts chapter 17 verse 26, he says that God, he made from one man every nation. The word nation comes from the word ethnos in the original language. That's where we get the word ethnic, where we get our word ethnic. The word ethnos literally means a tribe, specifically a foreign tribe, who is non-Jewish in origin, usually by implication a pagan, a Gentile, a heathen person. And so when we're, when we're looking at this passage, we're looking at the people who lived specifically, as many times it's addressed in the New Testament, who lived anywhere other than Jerusalem, Judea, in that area. Any of those other nations throughout the world, any of the nations that Rome itself had conquered, anyone living in Rome who was not a Jew, they were considered the different ethnic groups. Yet it's translated nation. There are many different ethnic groups backgrounds in our world today, right? In the book of Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, that word is used again. There the passage says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, the way the King James and the English Standard and so forth put it, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him in any ethnic area, in any ethnic group, in any ethnos. God accepts that person when that person lives in accordance with what is right. So this morning, we need to understand and accept the fact that God made people different. That there are people living in different places But we all have the same God. We all have the same one before whom we'll one day stand. It's important for us just to recognize that. Because sometimes we look at other folks and we say, because they don't look like us, or because they didn't come from the same area that we came from, they're less of a being, a human being, than what we are. And that's wrong. That's against what God has to say, because who does God accept? Everyone. And so we need to. We as Christians need to understand some things in regard to that. Not only that, this morning, though the word never is used, uh, the Bible makes it clear that there's such a thing as immigrants, and Abraham was one of them. Abraham himself was an immigrant. Now remember our definition, one who moves from one place to another, especially to settle there? What does the Bible have to say about Abraham? Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You see, he moved from where he was from to another place. God told him to do that. But not only was Abraham an immigrant in coming to what we know as the promised land and, and, and having lived there for a while, the Bible also speaks about Abraham leaving that place for a while. In the book of Acts, or rather, uh, Genesis chapter 12, at verse number 10, the Bible says, now there was a famine in the land. So, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And he had moved to what we know as the promised land to that area, and now there's a famine there, and he has to emigrate again to another place, to Egypt. The Bible is interesting, he moved there, he sojourned there. He was a, a resident alien there. He was there for a short period of time. But Abraham again was an immigrant. It's also interesting what is said in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse number 17. Then Solomon, that's King Solomon, counted all the resident aliens, the way the English Standard Version translates it, the sojourners, he counted all the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel after the census of them that, were, uh, that David, his father, had taken, and there were found 153,600 immigrants, resident aliens living within the borders of Israel during the time of King Solomon. And so the Bible has something to say. It never uses the word immigrant the way that we do. But it does speak of those who are immigrants. Matter of fact, the New Testament does as well. The New Testament uses the word sojourners. Sojourners. Now there are a few passages of Scripture where that word is used. Before we look at those passages though, let's define the word. The word in the original language is from a combination of words. Hera, which means beside, and oikos, which means a dwelling place or a house. And so literally what we have in the sojourner is one who is a by-dweller, a one who is a beside-dweller, a one who is an alien resident, one who used to live beside us but now lives with us. And that's what the Bible is speaking about in, in, in one sense. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Wage war against your soul. Christians are aliens in this world. We're sojourners here. We've got another home. Our home is heaven. We need to remember that. Acts chapter 7, verse 29. uh, Chapter 7, verse 6 should say. God spoke to this effect. That his offspring, that's the offspring of Abraham, would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. Speaking of Israel being in Egypt itself. But they were sojourners there. They had lived beside, but now they were living with. Acts chapter 7, verse 29. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile. Same word that's used as sojourner in the land of Midian, where he became. Father of two sons, so Abra—I mean, rather Moses—had to leave Egypt. You remember the story after the man, uh, the, the 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 Egyptian slave master was beating one of the one of the uh, one of the Hebrews. Moses ended up killing him, and he had to flee. He became a sojourner, an exile, in another land. And though the Bible never uses the word immigrant in any way, it does speak of immigrants. But not only that, this morning the Bible makes it clear that nations have rights to their borders. Nations have rights to their borders. In defense of that, understand what God did Himself. Exodus 23 verse 31. God says to the children of Israel, I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness of the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. God says, this part, from this sea to this river, and everything in between these places, that's your borders. That's what you're going to get. In the book of Joshua, chapters number 13 and following, It's there that we begin to read about the the division of the land within this part. And each tribe was given land. They were given borders. And they were to maintain those borders. And if land was sold from outside that tribe, every so often it had to be given back to the tribe so that the the border of the region would remain intact. But then again, there's something else. And it was read this morning by Jonathan out of the book of Numbers. Do you remember when the children of Israel were leaving the, the wilderness wanderings, going over to the promised land, that the occasion that Jonathan read about in Numbers chapter 20 took place? They wanted to pass through the land of Edom. They sent a messenger to the king of Edom, we're brothers, would you let us pass through? We won't take anything, we won't drink anything, we won't eat anything, we'll stay on the highway. And what does the king say? No. They send another message back. Well, if we do happen to get anything, we'll pay for it. And the king sent a message back. No. And if you come through here, we're going to send troops down there, and we're going to stand against you. We're going to fight. And so what did the children of Israel do when they were told that they could not go and, and uh, have a, uh, a passage through? Verses 20 and 21, he said, You shall not pass through. Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. They went around. They went around. Even God's people respected that particular border. There were times when God says you go through the middle and when you go through, you destroy the people as well because their wickedness had become ripe. And God was fed up with the wickedness of the particular lands. But in this occasion, it wasn't the time. And God said, you go around. You follow the instructions of the king because it's his land. And so, the Bible makes it clear that that nations have rights to their own borders. You know, in a sense, God controls the borders of His nation, doesn't He? God controls the borders of heaven. John chapter 3 at verse number 5, the Bible says, as Jesus and Nicodemus are talking, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot, watch this, enter the kingdom of God. That's different than verse 3. Verse 3, and when the statement is first made, he says you can't see it. Here he says you can't get in it. Why? God controls the borders of heaven. There are only certain ones who God will allow to be there. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 27, the Bible says, Nothing unclean will ever enter, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do we get our name in the Lamb's book of life? We're baptized, having our sins washed away, being added to the Lord's church. According to the book of Hebrews, chapter number uh, 10, or 12 rather, it's then that our names are written in God's book. We're enrolled, if you will, in heaven. And so, to say that nations, and many argue today that, well, nations, every, we're all one people, so nations shouldn't have the right to defend or protect or even have a border. Well, that's in, not in harmony with what God says in His words. Old Testament, God allowed for borders to be respected. And even when it comes to his own abode, God says there is a border patrol, if you will. And you cannot enter without having certain documented uh, uh, things that make you eligible to be there. But then very quickly this morning, the Bible makes it clear that both citizen and immigrant are to abide by the law of the land. Both are to do that. Under the Old Testament law, and even though God's nation of Israel was uh, under His rule, it later had kings and so forth, but there are many things that are mentioned in regard to this. First off, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, verse 22, notice this phrase that's going to come over and over and over again. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner, the resident alien, and for the native. For I am the Lord your God. Both who were there were to live by the law of the land. The law of the land, of course, under that particular era was God's law. Again, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, 12, verse 48, If a stranger shall sojourn with you, and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There's a Raelian, uh, a Raelian, an alien resident who decides to become a proselyte, Then they had to follow all the rules, even when it came to the religious ceremonies of the law. And so, again, notice that both the native and the uh, sojourner were to keep the law. No uncircumcised person was to eat of it. Exodus chapter 20 verse 10. Again, the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, uh, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Both to keep the same law. Leviticus chapter 17 verses 10 through 12. If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to, uh, for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Here's another one, Leviticus chapter 20, at verse number 2. Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Leviticus chapter 24, verse number 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner and the native. In Numbers chapter 15, verses 29 and 30, you shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally for him who is the native among the people of the Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or sojourner, reviles the Lord. that person shall be cut off from among them. Again, over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Those are just a sampling. It's the native and the stranger. And they both have the same law by which to abide. That means something to us today as well. It wasn't until the 14th Amendment was put into place in our Constitution that citizenship was defined in the Constitution of the United States. And in that Constitution, the 14th Amendment, that law says this. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. And there's a couple of things that you'll note there. There are two components of American citizenship. You're either born or naturalized to be a, a, a citizen. And, and, you must be subject to the jurisdiction of the land. In other words, anyone who's here who wants to be a citizen has to keep the law. And that would apply not only to those who have become citizens, but to those who are becoming citizens by the naturalization process. One who's naturalized into the United States takes an oath of allegiance. Here's part of that oath. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have therefore, heretofore, uh, been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America. And so again... Everyone is expected, even within our own law, to be subject to that law. But last thing this morning, because both native and immigrants are to abide by the same law, justice must not be perverted. You can't treat them wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 17, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take widows, garments, in pledge. You've got to treat them right. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. We to abide by the same law, but when we do, we don't treat anybody any differently. God makes that clear. Now, so far we've noted about four things in regard to immigration and so forth in the Bible. Some of the more important or some of the most important topics that we'll talk about in regard to that are to come tonight. And so if you want to hear what the Bible has to say in regard to the rest of it, I hope everybody will be here again tonight because there's much more to be said in regard to that. But this morning, one of the things that we, you and I, need to key on is this. You and I, you see, as Christians, we're just living here as resident aliens in the world. We're to be subject to the laws of our land here, but we're to be subject to the law of God. And one day, we as Christians look forward to be being able to move to our permanent home, to be in heaven with our Heavenly Father for eternity. But there may be one who is here today, who is still outside of Christ, who doesn't have a hope of having anything else on the other side other than punishment and pain. We would invite you to become a citizen of God's kingdom today. Put your Lord on in baptism. That's the new birth that's spoken of in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Live as a Christian following the law of God. And one day, He will invite you in to be with Him. Maybe in the past you've become a Christian. You've been enrolled in heaven, as it were. But you haven't been living like a citizen of God's kingdom here on this earth. And you know that your life is not right with God even today. He invites you to come back to Him. We'd love to pray with you and for you for the forgiveness of God, for the forgiveness of His people here on this earth. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation today, do it. as together we stand and sing.
1: Just as I am without one plea, But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come. I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to. you be
2: Let me take just one second to update our bulletin. I will read uh, this announcement as it was written and given to me. James Sargent, Becky Odom's uncle, has blood cancer and has developed a blood clot in his lung, which traveled to his voice box, causing a mini-stroke, which has resulted in an inability to talk. He has requested prayers and could use a shower of cards of encouragement. His name is James Sargent, and this address will be given to Sandra, and I'm sure she will post it in the bulletin, uh, and we'll get that out as soon as possible. Gene Wilcutt is sick and is home and is unable to attend today. Also, Patty Sue Crump. Patty Sue Crump is in Walker Baptist Medical Center, room 2225. And she's having some tests run.